okay? 348 in the Church Bible, or 1 Samuel chapter 28. And let me just give a little bit of a review in case um, you missed a little bit of the story. And so we're back to our study of the life of David here on Wednesday nights. And where we are right now, David's been fleeing from King Saul for quite a while in the wilderness. In fact, it's almost to the end of the pursuit um, after years of uh, this taking place. Um, David got uh, kind of afraid and he made a decision. He thought, if I stay here, King Saul's going to kill me. We talked about this last time that um, he didn't, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't speak about him praying about it or asking the Lord's uh, mind about it, but that he just departed into uh, the Philistines' territory. He goes to Achish, the king of Gath. Um, Achish is uh, an enemy, you know, uh, and David feels safer, sadly, with an enemy than he does with his own people, Israel, uh, because of King Saul uh, pursuing him, okay? And King Saul was the first king of Israel. Um, David is going to be the second king. He's already way back been anointed king. Um, he knows that, and King Saul understands that, and that, that's one of the reasons King Saul is seeking his life. Um, Achish gave David the city of Ziklag as a residence. Um, David used his time while he's there uh, in, in the Philistine territory to go and destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the people that God had said uh, to King Saul, go take care of them, Agag and the king and everything. And instead of doing that, he spared them. And he transgressed against God. And that's one of the reasons God said, you're, you're finished, you're done. And so, but David's doing it kind of secretly. He's acting a little bit like he's going down into Israel and attacking uh, Judah. Uh, and and it's because he's heading south. And so Achish kind of assumes um, David's kind of made a bad name for himself in Israel and that David's going to be faithful to the Philistines and their cause kind of forever, okay? And so that's kind of where we're at. And uh, now Achish and the other lords of the Philistines are emboldened and they're actually preparing to attack Israel as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 28. And so verse 1, it says, It came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And what we're going to look at tonight is kind of a difficult story in the Word of God. And uh, it's also a very sad story in the Word of God. Not sad as uh, for David. Next week we'll come back to David. But the focus of our study tonight is actually going to turn to King Saul. And it's the end of his biography uh, and what he's done. Uh, the timing of the story in 1 Samuel 28 is the eve of this battle. Okay, the next day is the battle with the Philistines. Uh, but it's the night before. And uh, God's time has come for King Saul's demise. Um, some of you may remember David said there's three ways that King Saul could be killed by God, not by me. I'm not going to take his life. Um, his time could come to die. Um, God could, you know, uh, take him preemptively or an enemy of Israel could kill him. And uh, we talked about then it was going to be letter C. And that's that's kind of what's coming. OK, but sadly, Saul's going to die as far away from God as a saved man could get if he is saved. OK, there's a question in the word of God about Saul. You know, God used Saul. God chose Saul. Uh, but so much of Saul's life is against God um, that there's this question. And was he a righteous man or was he not a righteous man? And even a consideration from our study tonight that seems to indicate, well, maybe he was a righteous man uh, because of something in our text. Uh, but very sadly, um, his life was far, far away from God. And so let's pray and ask the Spirit of God to help us as we do our study tonight and look at 1 Samuel 28.
Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you that, um, interestingly, the Bible has great ability to help us, uh, and maybe in a way it's unexpected uh, to us. It might be different from even what the pastor preaches about, um, that the Spirit of God speaks to our heart about something specific that's in our life, uh, and uh, the Word of God's like that. Father, it's so uh, uh, applicable and, and multidimensional, and the Spirit of God has the power to speak to our hearts individually. We all have different things going on in our life. We all have uh, different things maybe that we're burdened about or concerned about or thinking about uh, or looking forward to or uh, ways that we think. And, and tonight, my prayer uh, would be that we'd surrender right now our will to your own and say, God, whatever you speak to my heart about tonight, I will make a definite decision uh, where change is needed to change that in such a way as would honor God. And Father, that's our prayer because we really do desire you to speak to us tonight and to show us how to be more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask both in this room and in the room with the children tonight that we know the presence of God and that the hand of God would be evident. And Father, I can't speak without your enablement, but I do ask the enablement of the Spirit of God tonight as I preach. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, and so uh, we're kind of, I think, going to have to move through this quickly, and there's going to be a lot of text that we're going to read through, uh, and so let's just jump right in here. So David's deception towards Achish, Achish thinks David's kind of on his side, puts David into a difficult position. Now, David was not a traitor to Achish. He is, he is with Achish in his military, uh, but David was not as loyal as Achish suspects, okay? And so David is told now uh, this battle is going to take place against Israel. Those are the people of God. That is, Those are David's people. Uh, and David is told to join forces for battle against Israel. It says in verse 1, It came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle thou and thy men. Okay, so the battle lines are being made, and David is told to bring his men to the battle against Israel. And I, I just want to point out to us that when we don't take a clear stand against something that offends God, we may soon see ourselves standing with that something. Okay, if we don't stand against it and say, no, wait a second, this is what God says, we can very easily find ourselves standing uh, with it. It's very odd that God's servant is now put into this position of a battle against God's own people, and he's on the other side. And as I think about that, there's some formerly good churches who have reached this bizarre place, okay? Um, or Christians. They cease to uh, clearly stand for God's word and to say, you know what? I, I believe in a six-day literal creation. I believe uh, in the inspiration of the word of God. I believe in life beginning at conception. I believe in gender roles in church and in home. I believe in uh, marriage and gender identity. And the things that the Bible uh, is very clear about in, in things that Christians of the past would have stood up and said, I have conviction. I stand upon these principles. Sadly, uh, churches have stepped away from that. Maybe a desire to appeal to, um, you know, uh, liberal liberal academics or things like that. It could be the case where uh, academia uh, looks down upon those views as, as being too literal. You can't take the Bible literally. And we are uh, smarter than that, more enlightened by that. Maybe some Bible-believing Christians kind of felt like, well, you know, kind of felt ashamed that they weren't more academic, and so they began to kind of be silent about their convictions and things like that to the point where those people thought they were with them. And then uh, they may have still believed the Word of God, but not said it, 
but soon they were assumed to be in the enemy's camp. And when it came to decision time, where do they stand? Are they going to stand with scripture? Or are they going to stand with those that they have partnered with and become friends with uh, to, for whatever reason to please them? And so that's kind of the position David's in. It's like, uh, you know what? We know he's God's man uh, and God's next anointed king, but he's put himself in a very difficult position because he's become silent about his actual uh, position. And so David's, praise God, isn't going to, um, isn't going to be traitor to God's people, but David put himself into a difficult position. So I, again, just for our encouragement, the best way to prevent this awkward situation of looking like you're aligned with the enemies of God and, and, and being in the danger of being put in that tough position of, uh, am I going to embarrass myself and say, wait a second, no, I believe in, this, you know, in these things when you've acted as if you don't. The best thing to do would be to say, stand firm upon the convictions of the word of God. Stand firm with the truth of the word of God so that there's no doubt as to where you stand. And so are you living in such a way that those who are against God think you are with them? That would be bad. Okay, that's kind of where David finds himself uh, in a sad place for a, a great man of God as David was. Now, the narrative now shares some current events to help us understand the story, okay? So uh, there are going to be some uh, facts put in here just to give us the context of what's going to take place next. So the prophet Samuel is no longer living. It says in verse 3, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. Okay, now, uh, finding out that Samuel's dead might better help us understand why David left Israel. Because uh, before, he had had Samuel. He could go to Samuel, and he could, as he did, uh, you know, at, at uh, specifically in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 18, when David fled King Saul, he escaped, he came to Samuel, to Ramah, and he told him all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. Okay, so he um, could go to Samuel. Samuel knew that he was the anointed king. Why? Because he anointed him. And, and so what a comfort to David. I, there's somebody that knows the truth that, you know, he's going to be uh, the future king, but now Samuel's dead. And so he can't go to Samuel anymore. So it might explain to us a little bit why David chose to flee and, and uh, get out of the area. And it also explains that Saul could not either go to Samuel, okay? So he didn't have opportunity uh, to go to the prophet. And then King Saul had put witches and wizards out of the land. It says, and Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits or demons and wizards out of the land. Okay, so the verse is speaking about uh, demonic practices or spiritism, uh, witchcraft, wizardry, and that sort of thing. The Bible does speak about it, but the Bible, I uh, think, you know, for um, the Bible says, be simple concerning that which is evil. Uh, and so the Bible doesn't give us incredible understanding these things, but it does give us some warnings against these things. And so a demon is a fallen angel, one who followed after Satan when he rose up in pride. Okay, so you might wonder what, you know, when the Bible speaks about demons, what is that? It's a fallen angel. Uh, and so you've got the angels of God and the hosts of heaven, and then you've got those angels that when Lucifer rebelled against God in pride, they also um, went with him. Okay, now, um, very sadly, um, Disney, Harry Potter, things like that, popularized witchcraft uh, to the point where we th a lot of people think about witchcraft as um, humorous or uh, kind of simple or, or that kind of thing. But 
uh, it's good for us to be reminded it's not. It's something that's very real, but it's something that's becoming more and more prevalent in our society right now. You go to Pennycook, uh, right here, village five miles away, uh, and you've got a witchcraft shop. Uh, we were in, uh, what village were we in? We were in Falkirk, and there were two shops right together, right in the heart of the village, and there are shops that are witchcraft. And so it's coming, it's coming again into our society, and uh, there's people trying to bring these things up again in our society. Now, God's law forbids such wickedness. Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. <clears throat> it says, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Okay, to offer them, uh, actually they would sadly offer them as a burnt offering to idols. And, uh, or that use a divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, okay, or a wizard, or a necromancer, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God does drive them out from before thee, okay, so God said, this is why I'm so against these nations, because they've gotten into deep ungodliness, and if you think about it, uh, somebody that uh, seeks after witchcraft or sorcery, things like that, that is the enemy, the, the sworn enemy of God, okay, so you got Satan uh, that's the head of that, and, and so God forbids it. In Old Testament times, witches were sentenced to be executed. Exodus 22, verse 18 says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Okay, uh, now before somebody uh, thinks too harshly about that, the Bible back then said, If you picked up wood on the Sabbath day, you're also to be killed. Okay, why? Because that was. Uh, dishonoring and rebelling against God uh, in witchcraft the same. Okay, so, uh, but it shows the severity of it. It shows that it was an offense uh, to God. In fact, interestingly, King Saul was warned about his sin that was likened unto witchcraft and, and using the analogy showing the greatness of his sin. It says, 1 Samuel 15, 23, God said to him, because he didn't obey, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Okay, so uh, believers should never dabble in anything that has to do uh, with the occult. So that, I mean, that would be things like tarot cards, um, uh, the stars, uh, whatever ology that is, uh, and... Uh, things like that, um, the Ouija board, okay? Just to, just to remind us, I mean, these are real things and things that God says uh, to stay away from, okay? But it's important to the context of what we're going to look at that the Bible tells us about this. So, so he had made a law um, forbidding this. Saul had. Now, the physical battlefield is set, and the armies will engage at sunrise. Verse 4, it says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. Okay, so the Philistine army has come into Israel's territory. Israel has no choice. They have to go out and defend uh, their land, and so they have to set the battle in array. And so with those facts in mind, the story continues. Samuel is dead, witchcraft is forbidden, and the battle lines are drawn. Now we look at the weakness of Saul's character that is exposed now more than ever. And we find that he's living in fear. It says in verse 5, and when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. All right, so here he is. Remember, he's a big man. He's a, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's won some battles. He's seen 
uh, some great things, but now, I mean, this big man is afraid. Uh, would he have been afraid if God was on his side? No. I mean, if God was on his side, and that's a wonderful thing. When somebody's walking with God and knows God and the presence of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And by the way, is God forgiving? Yes. yes. Is God merciful? Yes. Could King Saul have been right with God? Absolutely. But he wasn't. And because he wasn't, there's this uh, great fear in his heart. As he's facing a battle, he's looking at it thinking, uh, you know, wondering how this thing is going to turn out. Proverbs 28, verse 1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know, don't you think Saul wished that God was on his side at this moment? I, I think in his heart, he's, he's like, uh, in there, not that he wanted maybe to be right with God, because he wanted to be right with God, he could have gotten right with God. But I think there's something in him that, that wished that God would come and, and uh, fight with him. You know, I meet people all the time who act as if they don't need God, okay? They're happy to live without him. And, and uh, you know, I, we had a guy uh, recently as we knocked on doors. He said, I've got a lot of sinning to do. Oh, okay. You know, but somebody like that, don't you think there's going to come a day, and if it's, if it's not in this life, that as soon as they die and they stand uh, before Almighty God, that there's going to be something that cries out and said, I wish that God was on my side. You know, praise God, uh, because the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mercy of God, every single one of us can be absolutely right with God. And that's, I mean, it's glorious to know the mercy of God, know the presence of God, and walk with God, and how we ought to keep close to God so we face a trial, uh, we can go through it with confidence. Okay, so here King Saul is, he's cut himself away from God, uh, and so he's not with the Lord. So verse 6, it says, When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Okay, uh, Urim has to do with an uh, instrument that uh, the high priest had in his ephod that would allow them to consult God as to, with regard to God's will. Okay, but God God isn't answering him, not, not in any of the ways that God would speak uh, to his people. Now, I, I want to remind us about Saul. King Saul is the one who put to death all the priests of the Lord. He is the one that rejected the counsel of the prophet Samuel. He's been uh, fixated on killing God's servant, David. Okay, can we kind of understand why he is distant from God and maybe God's not saying anything and not speaking to him because he's, he's living in sin instead of uh, righteousness with God. And, uh, you know, sadly, those that refuse to get right with God ought not expect illumination, right? Uh, they ought not expect that God's going to direct them and guide them if they're going to harbor sin in, in their life. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will what? Those of you that know the verse. Not hear me. All right, so if I treasure sin and I, I say, well, I'm just going to keep that. Maybe nobody else knows about it, but we know about it. Uh, and God knows about it, but I'm going to hold on to the sin. That sin separates us from God. What should we do? Get rid of the sin. But that's not what Saul does. So Saul's got this big block that's there, uh, and it's like this verse in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 1, talking about the elders came before the Lord uh, to seek the Lord. And uh, God said to the prophet, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Are you come to inquire of me? As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Why would, why would God say that to somebody? Because they were living in sin. And they weren't dealing with their sin. 
You know, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Saul was sowing sin. What should he expect to reap? The harvest of sin, right? Now, if he wanted to reap mercy, he should have gotten right with God. He should have repented and said, Dear God, please forgive me. I want to get right with you. But he, he has not done that, and he will not do that. And so he's offended God, and so he seeks the help of Satan, okay? He refused to get right with God. He's getting further from God. And uh, it's a, there's a term in the Bible called backsliding. That means apostasy. It means turning away. Somebody that was walking with God, but then uh, maybe like Demas, they look at the present world and they think, I'm going to have the world instead of God. And they turn their back on God. And that's where uh, Saul was, living in a backslidden state away from God. And so Paul's, uh, uh, Saul is an apostate. He knew the truth, had the truth, and he turned from it. And so he does so in violation of his own law. Look at verse 7. It says, Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Okay? <laughs> now, what was the law that King Saul had passed? That we talked about. Yeah, it's, it, the witches and uh, necromancers got to get out of this, uh, get out of Israel uh, because we forbid this in the land. Now, what's he doing? He's the king, uh, and he's he says, "I, I got to find uh, a witch that I can go to that has a familiar spirit, so that I can uh, speak to her and find a way forward." Um, you know, the Bible says in Romans two twenty one, "Thou there, therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself." Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? You know, uh, is it right to preach against adultery? Is it right to preach against thievery? Is it right to preach against witchcraft? Answer, yes. yes. And so Saul was right to say, this is wrong, get this out. But he was wrong to do opposite of what he said. And that's where Saul is. He's... He's saying this should not take place, and then he's seeking it out. And he does so by deceitfulness. So notice again in verse 7. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself. He put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Um, and so, you know, I mean, just picture Saul. Here he is, the big king, right? Uh, by the way, when he was robed, uh, and dressed kingly. Don't you think he made a great appearance? He was head and shoulders above uh, other men. And so, I mean, he would have looked great, uh, you know, as a man. And, and yet he, he doesn't look great here as he sneaks into this uh, situation. Matthew Henry, the commentator, said, Never did Saul look so mean as when he went sneaking to a sorry witch to know his fortune. Evil works are works of darkness, and they hate the light, neither care for coming to it. Saul went to the witch, not in the robes, but in the common habit of a soldier. Not only lest the witch herself, if she had known him, should decline to serve him, either fearing he came to entrap her or resolving to be avenged on him for his edict against those of her profession, but lest his own people should know it and abhor him for it. Such is the power of natural conscience, that even those who do evil blush and are ashamed of it. You know, you look at it. Uh, again, Saul, do you think men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil? And so, I mean, he's going to a witch. When's he going to go? At night. What's he going to do? Cloak himself and hide as he goes there. 
No, he entreats the help of one who is living in rebellion against God. Verse 8. And he said, I pray thee, okay, I beg of you, divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. Okay, so he wants to talk to somebody that's dead. It's basically uh, the thing, and he wants to speak specifically to Samuel. And so King Saul begs the help of a woman who through spiritism was in contact with demons. So he's seeking uh, uh, to go to the dead instead of unto a living God is what he's doing. You know, the Bible again speaks about that in Isaiah 8, 19. It says, and when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Oh, I mean, I just think about how far King Saul has fallen to the point where, I mean, he could have gone to God. He could have had the blessing of God. He could have walked with God. Now he's got to put on a habit, you know, of a common soldier, sneak into this witch's house and ask her by her demon to contact the dead. I mean, the depth of the, uh, the depravity of the heart of men when the man gets away from God. Again, uh, it's a very sad, sad story that we have before us tonight. And so he promises um, to her earthly protection uh, to a witch that will soon know heaven's wrath. Okay, so he promises, I'll protect you, but this woman is going to face the wrath of God for her sin. Verse 9, it says, And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And I'll say, I'll say this, I, you know, as I read about, put them out of the land. I tried to I tried to look it up. Does it mean kill them or does it mean out of the land of Israel? You know, uh, but she's fearful for her life. And so it seems it might be uh, execution. And so verse 10, and Saul sware to her by the Lord saying, as the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. You know, it's sad uh, today that there are people whose only concern is that they not get caught by earthly authorities. They don't care that it's really bad what they're doing, but their their main concern uh, is that they not get caught at it. People are involved in thievery or drugs or gambling or adultery, embezzlement or things like that. They fear the law, but do they stop and think about someday they're going to give an account to a holy God? Someday they're going to stand before God and answer for all the wickedness that's in their life. Their main concern is just, hey, as long as I don't get caught or as long as I'm not going to be punished on earth for it. And so they fear the loss of men, but they don't fear their eternal punishment. And so Saul promised her, he says, I will protect you. There shall no evil happen unto you. But I just ask this question. What happens when that woman stands before God? Is King Saul going to come up and say, uh, well, actually, uh, you know, to God, I, I said it was okay. And God's going to say, well, I guess then uh, it's okay. No. And so what he's offering her is empty. There shall no evil befall you for this thing. Well, surely evil did befall her for that unless she repented and got right with God. But he promised her earthly protection. And then God intervenes in the satanic deception to reveal his truth. Okay, and now uh, continuing on with this story, I want to get ahead a little bit and say about what happens that uh, commentators uh, differ on, on what exactly takes place here. And so I'm going to tell you the two main things uh, that they think because uh, there is going to be an appearance of a person uh, of Samuel, okay, that the Bible speaks about. So some believe that the lying spirit of necromancy is speaking. In other words, that demon is acting as if he's Samuel. That would be common. 
That would be what takes place when a witch has a demon that uh, is there, that that demon is going to act as if they're that person because uh, Satan's a liar, he's a deceiver, and so he puts on uh, that act. Others believe that the soul of Samuel is indeed brought up from paradise, okay, to, to stand there and speak. And so uh, Believer's Bible commentary holds to the latter, that it's indeed Samuel. And that's my inclination as well for the same reasons as they list. And the reasons are this. Uh, the Bible says it's Samuel. So it doesn't say anything about any uh, deceit that takes place. Uh, what the prophet foretells, Samuel foretells, uh, happens. The Bible says if a prophet speak and it happens, that that's a true prophet of God. The woman, the witch, screams when she sees Samuel revealing that he was not expected. In other words, she expected deception. She expected a lying, the lying spirit to make an appearance of as if he was Samuel, but uh, apparently as she sees Samuel, she recognizes the prophet, and rather than uh, that, uh, what she would have expected, she screams. And so I, I do think uh, that God breaks through, and so we'll explain it in that way. And so the wicked woman is easily persuaded to break the king's law. Then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. Okay, so she had a simple promise from a man she doesn't know, doesn't even recognize him as the king yet. He said, there shall no evil befall thee for this. And so she's in it for the money uh, or whatever she could get. And so she very easily uh, goes to work uh, in, in her wickedness. And so the witch is surprised and she doesn't mutter in pee. Verse 12, it says, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. Okay, muttering and peeping is low, soft, hushed tones of demonic foretelling. Okay, and, and very sadly, I mean, it's kind of things that we don't like to talk about and it's not something that we want to talk much about, but demonic activity has that, that quietness and that low tone to it. That's what the Bible speaks about when it says, uh, muttering and peeping, okay? She doesn't do that. What's the Bible say instead? She cries out with a loud voice, okay? So this is not the demon speaking through her or something like that. It's it's her terror at what she uh, recognizes as actually Samuel's spirit. And so the witch suddenly understands the truth of the situation. Uh, and so it's interesting as well, not only does she react like that, but immediately she knows what's going on and who she's speaking to. And so the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me, for thou art Saul? Okay, so all these things point to divine revelation, that it's actually Samuel, and that God illumines this woman's mind, and she recognizes the king for who he is. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground, and he bowed himself. Now, again, it seems Saul has some ability. I don't know what, what he's seeing at this time, but he perceives that it's Samuel. Whatever the case, he falls on his face uh, before Samuel. Now, Saul's folly is going to be revealed by Samuel. Uh, and you kind of wonder, as you, as you read the story, uh, didn't Saul realize that if he could actually get an audience with the dead prophet, Samuel, that the prophet of God is going to rebuke him? <laughs> Doesn't he think that? I mean, isn't, Saul, isn't Samuel going to know that you went through a demon, uh, a demonic woman, to try to contact me, and I've got a real problem, uh, you know, with this? And so uh, Saul thought he could go around God 
and get a positive outcome. Verse 15, and Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I'm sore distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do, okay? And so we could kind of paraphrase it like this. God is ignoring me, so I turned to Satan and called you, okay? Or God isn't guiding me, and so I turned to the great adversary uh, for guidance. Uh, I suppose this would be like somebody that has a, maybe they've got a, uh, a pain in their back or something that they prayed to God, God take it away, God take it away, God hasn't taken away. Uh, and they think, well, I know there's a Ricky healer down here and that's spiritism, that's demonism, but if God's not gonna help me, I guess I'll do that. Or, or things like that where somebody thinks, you know, I've tried God, I've tried God, I've tried God, I'm gonna turn and do this. And that's exactly what Saul is doing. Instead of waiting on God and getting right with God, he is turning to sin. Remember one of the great uh, times that Saul failed was when he didn't wait on God, but took matters into his own hands. He was told to wait for God, or for Samuel. And so 1 Samuel 17 verse 8, uh, he waited seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. Now he's not a priest, he wasn't to do that, uh, the prophet should have done that. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And so on, on that occasion, what should Saul have done? Wait a minute. Uh, in our story right here, God is an answer to Saul. What should Saul have done? He ought to have searched his heart and said, God, is there anything? We know there is. There's a whole lot of things in Saul's heart. He ought to have sought God and said, God, I am going to get right with you. God, forgive me for my rebellion. That's like the sin of witchcraft. God, forgive me for pursuing your servant David and trying to murder a man of God and and God, forgive me for trying to keep in my possession that which you have taken from me as far as my premiership, my kingship. God, forgive me. Could he have gotten right with God? I believe he could have. The mercies of God are new every morning. And, and God is a gracious God. And, and so many times you read in the Bible that if you just turn from your sin, that God stands ready uh, to forgive. But instead of doing that, what's he do? So I can't wait anymore, and so I'm going to do it myself. That's where we get in a lot of problems a lot of times. If we uh, think, well, I prayed about it, I prayed about it. Well, um, let's pray about it some more. Let's make sure that we're right with God. Ask God, God, is there anything in my life that is hindering you? Answer me. I'm burdened about this. I'm praying about this. You know, Saul should have done that. Instead, uh, he did his own thing. Now, are God's servants like prophets, like um, Samuel, to stand in the place of God for impenitent people. In other words, if you can't go to God and be right with God, should you be able to go to a man of God and get help from a man of God when you're not right with God? Okay, so that's Saul. Saul's trying to, okay, God's not going to help me, so I'll go around God and I'll get to uh, Samuel and get Samuel to help me. And so, uh, verse 16, Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, and it's become thine enemy, okay? Now, why is, he, why is God his enemy? Because King Saul is God's enemy. 
instead of being right with God. And so he's separated from God. And, and, and so Samuel says, God's departed from you. He's become your enemy. Why are you, why are you even coming to me? How can, how can I help you when God's against you? And so what does Saul need to do? Get right with God. You know, I, as a preacher, I'd love to help people. I mean, there's a lot of people in this area I'd, I'd love to help. But can I help somebody uh, spiritually that's not right with God? No. I mean, the person has to be willing to get right with God himself. There's nothing I can do. You know, I can't, I, I can't pray about it uh, and be more effective if God is silent to them because of their sin or things that God's dealing with them about. You know, sadly, many people in Scotland believe that the government, social media, their mates, their family can help them even though God is against them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they, they, they think, oh, God's against me, but I'll, I'll get this person to help me. They'll say that I'm okay. They'll, they'll stand with me or whatever. Instead of getting right with God, they think they can go around it with legislation, general assemblies, things like that, that that's going to somehow justify them in the sight of God instead of getting right with God. And it just doesn't work that way, does it? And so, is there any hope for those who refuse to submit to God? And the answer is no. And so, verse 17, he said, And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent out of thine hand, the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his, his fierce wrath upon Amalek, Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Why, why is God dealing with you like this? He's not listening to you. He's not helping you. He's against you. He's your enemy. It's because you have refused to obey God and get right with God. And so God's not being unfair or unkind. He's justly condemning Saul's uh, disobedience. You know, if I ask us uh, tonight, it's very sad uh, to us uh, to think about how many people are on their way to hell. But why do unrepentant sinners go to hell? I mean, the answer is not because God's unkind or God's mean or God's unfair. The answer is because their sin separates them from a holy God. That's the facts. And because of that, their sin debt must be paid. And because they refuse to accept God's payment through Jesus Christ, their sin has to be paid for uh, in the fires of hell. That's not uh, God being unfair. That is God's justice. And so it's the same here with Saul. We can't feel bad for Saul. Saul is in rebellion against God. I mean, he's so far away from God that he's gone through a witch instead of waiting on God, getting right with God. And so no doubt as he stands here, God's going to sentence him through his prophet as we find. And so have we submitted to God? You know, to, to refuse to submit to God is just to nail the uh, nails in our coffin. The best thing that we could possibly do is just get right with God and have the mercy of God instead of the wrath of God. And so uh, Samuel says to him, you have sown the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Verse 19 says, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway all along in the earth, and were sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all that day, nor all that night. And so Saul's sin hurt him, but it didn't just hurt him. It hurt his family, and it hurt his uh, people, the children of Israel. You know, David faced God's judgment later in our story. If we get there, I don't know. I mean, we're on lesson like 40, 54 or something like that. 
But if we get there later, Saul, uh, uh, David's going to number the people and God's going to send judgment and David's going to plead and say, why are you judging the people? Uh, judge me because it was my sin, not the sin of the people. Saul doesn't do that. Saul hears that he's going to die. His sons are going to die. And he just feels sorry really for himself in hearing about the judgment of God. He enters a stupor of great fear. And so Saul's last meal is a sad affair indeed. I mean, think about this final meal that he's got here on this last night before the battle the next day. His last meal is prepared by a witch. Verse 21 and 22. The woman came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled and said unto him, Behold, thine handmaid hath obeyed thy voice. I put my life in my hand and have hearkened unto thy words which thou spakest unto me. Now therefore I pray thee, hearken thou also unto the voice of thine handmaid and let me set a morsel of bread before thee. And eat that thou mayest have strength when thou goest on thy way. So, I mean, just think about the environment that he's in. I mean, he's the king. He could have had a banquet. And, you know, I mean, he could have been in, in very fine company. But instead of that, his last night, his last meal, uh, there's a witch that's come to him and offered uh, hospitality. His last meal is eaten with his servants. Verse 23 and 24. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, compelled him and hearkened unto their voice. And he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed, and the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it, and took flour and kneaded it, and did bake unleavened bread thereof. And then the meal was eaten in the dead of the night, verse 25. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did eat. Then they rose up and went away that night. I don't know about you, but I, I read a story like this, and I we study a story like this, and we talk about it tonight, and I just, I, I, you know, it's Wednesday night, and I'd love to have something tonight that is uplifting, refreshing, or something like that. But very sadly, as we study the life of uh, David, we come across the character King Saul, and we watch King Saul go from bad to badder, not a word, to worse, right? I mean, it's just sad that, I mean, his life is just a train wreck. Why? Is it because God is mean and God's unkind and he just... You know, God is uh, just being unjust? No. It's because Saul chose to rebel against God, and his rebellion went so far that, I mean, if you'd asked him as a young man, uh, you know, Saul, would you ever consult a witch? He would have, I, I, I believe he would have said, absolutely not. I go to God and, and speak to God. But he got so far away from God, instead of repenting, that we find this, uh, again, very sad story. And so what lessons can we learn from a sad story like this in God's word? Well, if you don't find God when you can, there may come a day when you can't. You know, when God speaks to our heart about something, it's good for us to get right with God. Right? God knocks on our heart's door and says, look, that's sin. Don't go there. Don't dabble in that. Don't mess with that. I, you know, uh, that's going to destroy you. Uh, God warns us. We ought to say, yes, God. All right? I just want to be right with you. Because Saul didn't do that, so many times he missed. He could have gotten right, could have gotten right. It got to the point where he needed God, but without getting right with God, he wanted God to help him, okay? And God wouldn't. And so that's a very sad thing. We don't want to send away the day of grace, put it like that. I mean, if God is reaching out and saying, look, you can get right with me right now. You can deal with that sin right now. We ought to say to God, yes, God, I'll deal with that right now because heaven forbid we go down a path of rebellion against God and get so far away that it's like the heavens are brass. God's not answering. We think I've got to turn to something else. We take a left turn off into things we never thought we'd get into. Something else we think about tonight is don't trust in man's word, trust in God's word. 
that witch might have felt pretty secure. Okay, it's okay. The king says it's okay. But even though the king said it was okay, was it okay? No. And so what doesn't matter tonight is the legislation that uh, men make that say that sin is okay. What is not okay is not what the church comes out and says, well, yeah, general assembly, or we all got together, we've agreed together that God says that this sin is okay. It doesn't matter, does it? And so anything that, you, you could say this, well, you know, my parents say it's okay. My authority says it's okay. My mates say it's okay. Well, what matters today is not what they say, but what God says. So we stay with that and say, wait, God's against that. That doesn't please God. It doesn't matter if all the Christians in the world join together and say, that's okay. I ought to look at that and say, you know what? What matters is someday I'm going to stand before God. And I'll keep that in our mind. And then if God isn't guiding you, then whose guidance are you seeking? I mean, Saul, God's not going to guide me? Okay. You know, and very sadly, if it's not God, what is it that's guiding us? We ought to say, you know, I, I prayed about it. The Bible says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And we ought to we ought to wait right there and say, I'm just going to keep waiting upon God. And if there's anything in my heart that's hindering God, answer me. I'm going to deal with that because what I need is God's guidance. Uh, our church needs that. Our family needs that. And we need that. And so very sadly tonight, we find that the end of Saul almost. We have a little bit more to go in the story. We're going to get there pretty quickly. Um, but a man that turned away from God. He had incredible privilege, but in pride, he rose up against God. And in his rebellion, God said, that's it. I'll say his sign. And that man turned far, far away from God. And so God help us not to go down that path. Let's pray. Father, it's a sad story tonight. I'd much rather preach uh, a story that's uplifting and exciting of, of, about a man of faith that trusted in God and, and went out against God's enemies. But that's not our story tonight. And Father, I, I pray that we be warned in our heart. Now, about the uh, spiritism, Father, I should have said the verse, uh, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We don't have to fear the ungodliness of our day, the witchcraft and things like that. They're out there. They've always been out there. There's nothing new under the sun. It's more overt in our day. But Father, we don't need to fear somebody that's a witch or a wizard or anything like that because we've got the great God inside of us. And Father, we praise you for your power and we pray against the forces of evil that the Spirit of God will reign victorious. And Father, I, I pray tonight, there might be somebody in their heart that's thinking, no, pastor doesn't know about the sin that's in my life. Nobody knows about the sin that's in my life, but I know it and God knows it. And Father, if that's the case tonight, I pray that that sin would be fully dealt with by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we stop making excuse because, Father, if we harbor our sin, you're not going to hear us. And, Father, there's going to be coming a day of battle. We're going to wish that God was with us. And I just pray that tonight would be the night that that person really gets right with God and says, you know what, this is done. This is out of my life. I'm not going to have this in my life. It's hurting me. It's hurting my walk with God. And I don't want it. And Father, if they'll do that, that'll honor you and you're going to give them all the help they need to get victory over that. And so we pray for that tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Amen. All right. So there's our story tonight. And uh, it took a little bit of time. And, I, and normally we try to be done about 8 o'clock and so we can pray. We're going to pray still, but I'm sorry. I'm going to leave.